Hi, it's Holly. Today on Pediatrics Now, we're talking about relational health and how you can improve it and why and how you, as the pediatric practitioner, have the power. We're talking to Dr. Alice Gong, William and Rita Head Distinguished Chair in Developmental and Environmental Neonatology, Professor of Pediatrics, and Medical Director of the Premier Program, a program that follows premature babies up to age five. Dr. Gong, of course, works for UT Health San Antonio and University Hospital. Dr. Gong, thank you so much for being here in the podcast studio today. It's a pleasure to be here, Holly. It's such an honor for me. The NICU at University Hospital is one of two in the nation where you're working to implement the concepts of nurture science. Tell me about that. Well, actually it started about seven years ago when I started to take over our follow-up program. And what I saw in the program, uh, seeing these children when they come back, really worried me. Like... Um, we have worked so hard in the NICU to save their lives, and we work hard in those first years to try to keep them developmentally uh, intact. And then I started seeing these kids with temper tantrums and kids that are so withdrawn that they don't want you touching them. Uh, they're scared of you. Uh, and I started asking why. And I, and I started looking for answers, and I met Dr. Martha Welch from Columbia at a medical meeting. And we talked, and she said, I have to answer to all those things. She says, I've done the research, and I'm going to send you all my papers. <laughs> and she did, and there was quite a few papers, but I just ate it up. You know, it's like, wow, this makes so much sense. Uh, and it just kind of opened my world to understanding that the patient that I have in the NICU is not the only patient that I have. The other patient is the family, and how that family deals and understands what happens to that child makes a huge difference in the health and well-being of that whole family, including that child, because we have some children that seem to be able to bypass all that. They may have been very, very sick, may have had lots of problems in the NICU, had brain hemorrhages and things that would predict they're going to have a bad outcome. And yet, because they have so much parental support, and these are the kids that you see the parents there all the time. These kids flourish and they do well. So what gives them resiliency, and why can't we give that to other kids? And what Dr. Welch discovered was that it had a lot to do with nourishing that autonomic nervous system that is still being developed in that child and connecting emotionally the mother, usually the mother because she's always there, (laughs) and the child, but it could be a father, could be a grandmother if that's what you've got, but connecting them emotionally so that they are, you know, we used to say bond, but everybody says, what is bond? So it's an emotional connection and that you can look at one another and and uh, have this conversation even though you're not saying anything. Um, that type of a connection so that child feels that connection and that someone is looking after them. And that mm-hmm. allows for that maturation of that autonomic nervous system as opposed to the child that feels abandoned. Mm-hmm. So the baby is sick, that, yes, 
The baby's in the NICU. The baby wants the mother because that's where the baby's been. You know, it's been in the womb with the mother. It's heard the mother's voice, and it's, you know, heard her breathing and her heartbeat. And all of a sudden, it's not there. And the baby looks for the mother, but instead gets poked, gets all kinds of things that we do to save their lives in the NICU. So instead of trying to reach out, the baby starts withdrawing. Mm. And and that's kind of where you've impeded the development of that autonomic nervous system. So it's not a wonder that they have temper tantrums. That's that fight or flight or the withdrawal. They are in the most primitive form of their autonomic nervous system. And we can mitigate all that. So the Nurture Science uh, program had done the study at Columbia. But because it was a single center, uh, they were looking to see if they could expand that and see if it works elsewhere. So we joined them at University Hospital and UT Health. We became part of a study along with them. Now, studies like these are very expensive. And unfortunately, we had to do it during the pandemic. So, but we did reach our primary endpoint, which was what we wanted. And the primary endpoint was fascinating. So they looked at EEG readings of these babies, looking at their brainwave activity. And what they found was uh, very similar in the second trial, where Columbia and UT were together. Um, it replicated the findings that they found earlier at Columbia. And that is, by the time the babies that were in the uh, study where they had the emotional connection assisted uh, with a nurture specialist, that was the study group. There was a control group that did not have a nurture specialist that got just the routine care. So our routine care includes, you know, skin to skin, you know, you know human milk, getting moms there, etc. And the only difference was the other group had a nurture specialist that met with the mom about four times a week and helping the mom develop that emotional connection with her child. Well, at the EEGs that we did at term were just like other term babies. Whereas the babies that were not intervention, their EEGs show much, much, much less power. And so they, their brain had not developed as well as those babies that were born preterm and sick but had that intervention. So that is very powerful to say that we can impact the brain development of these kids with this very simple intervention of showing mothers what it means to be able to love on their children when they are sick and not to be scared and not to let those other feelings of depression and anxiety and guilt get in the way of them connecting with their babies. And that includes things like showing eye contact. Yes. So we use all the senses. So we try to do eye contact. We do smell. So we have this scent cloth exchange where mom puts her scent on the cloth and then puts it under the baby's head and the baby can smell mama. And then we take uh, a scent cloth that's been under the mom's head 
and give that to mom. And you could just see the moms smelling their babies, especially when they're not with their babies. They can bring up that smell. Uh, we do holding, whether it's skin-to-skin -skin holding or even cloth holding, but lots of eye contact and a lot of talk. We want the moms to talk to their babies and tell their babies how they're feeling. One of the first things we ask them to tell their babies about is how they felt when their baby was born, noting that these babies are not born under normal conditions. Mom's been sick or she's in preterm labor and the baby is needs to come out. So these babies cannot support themselves when they come out. They need the intensive care. So how does that mom feel to have given birth to her baby and not get her baby to hold and love on and count the fingers and toes and kiss the baby. Mm -hmm. Instead, the baby is whisked away. And the first time she sees that baby, she's in the intensive care unit, lots of sounds, lots of you know, noise, and, and um, the baby is, has all these tubes and things t uh, connected to the baby. And the f desire that mothers have when they see their first baby is to, can I just pick that baby up and just love on that baby? But instead, what she sees is a baby that is not what she thought her baby was going to be like. And what she'll do is try to reach out and touch her baby and stroke the baby because instinctually, when the baby doesn't look right, is you try to stroke and get it moving and stuff. And what happens then is the baby will withdraw because it's not used to being stroked. And then she thinks, oh, I'm hurting my baby. I'm not good for my baby. My baby doesn't like me. And so wall gets built. And we want to tear those walls down. You mentioned Dr. Gon and Dr. Welch. So she's a professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at Columbia University who has spent her life studying nurture. And of course, today we're talking about relational health. Do you have a life lesson you want to mention in all of your experience in education? It's very interesting. Dr. Welch was a very well-known child psychiatrist. And when she was doing her child psychiatry uh, learning, she uh, connected with Tim Bergen in uh, England. And, uh, and also, she was very influenced by the work of Jane Goodall with the apes, understanding that there's this relationship. So she practiced child psychiatry different from other people. She took on the autistic kids and so forth, and she helped them by helping them develop relationships with their caretaker, their moms, their family, and saw differences. But the world of psychiatry wasn't ready to hear that. You know, they want diagnosis, they want treatment. That is something you have to pay for, you know. So, um, about 20 years ago, she decided that no one is listening to me. I need to find out this research. I need to do something. So she gave up a very lucrative psychiatry practice, psychiatric practice, and uh, went back to Columbia and started working in the lab and started with you know little rats and mice and, and trying to figure out this relationship between mother and baby. 
and she discovered that uh, oxytocin is very powerful, and it is released when a mother gives birth to a baby, and that oxytocin is part of who we are. She found that there was a receptor for oxytocin in the gut. So that oxytocin turns on a number of things and it is very relevant. And she had all these ideas and, and she picked the NICU to study because the NICU is the place where we separate mothers and babies. And what can we do about that? And so she, I mean, she's done other studies in other venues, but I think that's one of the most powerful studies is to look at babies in a NICU. And the only intervention was that nurture specialist. That person, that nurse that had the time to set aside and meet with that family and explain to them what they need to do. Now, you can't teach it. It's... it's is within us, you know. It is not something that you can mentally tell people what to do. It's that instinct, waking that instinct up of this is your child, you know. Instinctually, what do you want to do? Then do it, you know. How can we help you do it so that you don't end up fighting? So we talk about when the babies are very very sick and they can't be picked up, doing hand hugs so that the warmth of your skin and the baby can feel that. Talk to your baby. Your baby is more used to your voice than any other thing that they can hear in the NICU. You know, the, you know comforting your baby. And, you know, because life is tough. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to survive these kids, we do have to use tubes. We do have to draw blood. We do have to do these things so that we understand what's going on and provide the appropriate therapy to help that child thrive and li- leave the NICU. But we want that child to thrive and leave the NICU with an emotional connection to the caretaker, the mom who's going to take care of that kid. That's con- that mom would be able to help that baby develop resilience to all the other bad things that are going to happen in life. I had the chance to interview Jane Goodall when she was speaking at Trinity University several years ago, and that was such a wonderful experience. Oh, yeah, I went there to watch her. Oh, you were there? Yes. She's an amazing person. Yes. Dr. Gong, how important is relational health? Well... You know, that's how humans have become as prolific as we've been. Because if we didn't have a relationship, then we would be alone. And that's what the um, Surgeon General says. More than half of Americans feel lonely. We don't need to feel lonely because there are other people that want us to reach out to them. So, yes, I think it's the basis of a healthy society when people have relationships that they can count on. You know, when people lived in villages, everybody knew everybody. But if you need something, somebody will help you with it. Okay? You know, it takes a village. And we need to develop that village. We need to be able to rely on people. Because life is not always going to be perfect. You know, we keep saying it's fine, it's fine, it's all going to be fine. Well, it's not. It doesn't always end up fine. There are, you know, school shootings. There are, you know, bad things happening. 
how can we help, you know, how can we keep helping people so they don't feel like they have to get attention by going around and shooting innocent children? There are training programs, and Dr. Welch has a training program on something she calls the Welch Emotional Connection Score, the WEX, where you just look at a few things to help you determine if there is a uh, relationship. And uh, Dave Willis talks about that space, that space between the mother or the father and the child. Um, and so you as a pediatrician have this wonderful opportunity to see a family, a mom, bring the child in and sometimes not under very good conditions because you have to give a shot or you've taken vital signs and you've stripped that baby and that baby is cold and you did blood pressure and the kid is not happy. How is that mom comforting that child? Is she picking up that child and loving on that child and say, oh, I'm so sorry that you've been interrupted. You know, I'm going to take care of you. Or is this the mother that puts the baby back in the stroller, pops a, a pacifier in the mouth, and holds it there while the baby's crying. Mm. I mean, which one has the good relationship? So for the mom that doesn't have that relationship, you could just say, hey, how about if you pick up your baby and hold your baby here next to your chest and love on your baby while we go over a few things. I mean, model for her. And also, you can model by looking that child in the eye and try to engage the child and let the mom see that her child is capable of engagement and show her that she can do the same thing. So Reach Out and Read has done something with books. Uh, there are many programs out there now that are trying to help uh, parents have that positive relationship. But it's not all positive. It is about the ability to share those emotions and calm each other. So that's what Dr. Welch calls it, calming cycles. Um, because if you can calm your child, it's easier to calm your child the next time your child gets upset. And I've seen moms that feel bad because they had a bad day at work and they pick up their baby and all of a sudden, all those good feelings come back. You know, that oxytocin starts flowing. And you start to feel better about things. You know, you may have a way of thinking about how can you deal with the adversity that you've been handed. <laughs> so everybody gets handed adversities. Life is not perfect. No, as a, a good friend of ours, child, when she was six, told me, nobody said that life was fair. <laughs> you know, so... No, it's not. But how do we deal with that? You know, if we had our relationships, we can talk about it. We can kind of help each other out. You know, being able to discuss something helps you to find that solution. You know, so that's what this is. So relational health, I think, is the AAP has picked that up now as the basis of what we need to work on. You know, if you if you felt connected, you're not likely to need to go and drown your sorrows in something that will take your mind away. You know, you have a way of solving that problem, being able to talk to someone you trust. 
So trust is very important in relation. And if you have a, a good relationship, has trust. That's a great <clears throat> point. So, and we'll put in the chat and in the text of the podcast, we will put in resources, Welch Emotional Connection, um, and other resources for pediatricians. So you look to see, though, is that parent connected to the child? What is their emotional connection? And then from there, how can I, what can I do to improve that? And you can, you can identify that connection in, is it three minutes? You should be able to. So you're looking for the, what the relationship is. So if the, what is the, it's not like, sometimes you have moms that are very talkative and they, you know, just like top of the world, but the baby is not making eye contact with the mom. There's a problem there. You know, is she reaching out to the baby or is she just reaching out to everybody else? On contrary, you also have babies that are just as cute as they can be. They give you eye contact, they smile at you when you look at them, and they coo at you, but they don't do that with their mom. So both of those situations are problematic. But you as the pediatrician have so much power. If you bring mm -hmm. this conversation up, and if, it, if it's more than you can handle in your 5-10 minutes, bring her back and focus on relational health. And Reach Out and Read is now doing that. So, you know, there are books that talk about relational health. You can uh, model it. You can, you know, it's amazing if you have some give and take with a baby. I, you feel good, you know. I go to the clinic and I see these babies and I look at them and I laugh and I mm. talk to them and they laugh and I feel good. It yes. makes me feel good. That's why you're a pediatrician, you know. So... If that baby and mom were doing that to each other and build on that, they would start feeling good too. And a good feeling is something that they should want. Now, you know, we do have all these problems with postpartum depression and so forth, but if we can, we did show, Dr. Welch showed in her first study that the moms who were in the study as study patients had lower anxiety and depression scores at four months. So this is a group of moms that have babies in the NICU. A lot of them have depression and anxiety issues, but she was able to show a difference between the two groups. So. We know it can work, um, but instinctually it works, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of like, yes, if I am, even if I'm crying, if someone is um, empathetic with me, it makes me feel better. And that's what we're saying is that don't hold back on those emotions. You know, you felt bad, you felt terrible, your baby was born premature. Just tell your baby, I feel really bad. I'm so sorry I couldn't protect you. I am so sorry. I need to, you know, I will try to do better, whatever you want to, but make that apology and move on. All of us who work in pediatrics are acutely aware of the mental health crisis in this country. Is relational health, focusing on that could be a, a solution? It certainly helps with the adverse childhood experiences. Giving tools to overcome that. You could come from a very poor family, but if you have a loving family, one that supports you, you can go far. 
You can come from a very well-off family, but if you don't have support, you may get lost. So it's, you know, I mean, it's so simple to say, but it's sometimes very difficult to do. And people who are depressed, have anxiety, have guilt, they've built up walls. And you need to be able to take that wall down. But who's the best person to take that wall down? That person. That person needs to want to do it. And amazingly, babies are the biggest impetus to want to take down walls. Mm -hmm. You know, you get that new baby and that life, that new life, that new, all these opportunities, probably many opportunities that you yourself may not have had. But here's a chance to make things better. So if you have that relationship, you it, it helps both mom and baby. And that's what we want to say. Relational health is not about just one person. So the baby, the child is not your only your patient. It's the family is your patient. And how that family interacts with that child is going to be the t- give that child the tools that child needs to face all the things that life throws that child. Including bullying, online bullying, mm-hmm. verbal bullying, which you were saying could be even worse than like a physical right. punch. Yeah, because if somebody hits you, you feel the pain and then the pain goes away. You may have a bruise, but if somebody says something really bad to you, it plays over and over in your mind and it undermines anything that you could say because you said, that person said, I was fat, you know, I need to go on a diet, I, I, I need to do all these things. And that, that comment keeps coming back. It's a lot of what PTSD is, you know, like you just keep facing the same problem without being able to handle it. And if you could just take it head on and just address it, you know, um, I, I always tell that my son, when he was in middle school, he was picked on a lot mm-hmm. because he was little. So mm-hmm. And he learned to tell jokes. And he would say things that are outlandish. But mm-hmm. that puts a pause on a situation where it's not building and, like, he's getting mad and they're getting mad and he may want to punch them and they may want to punch him. He, you, he diffused the situation by saying something that, it's just ridiculous, mm-hmm. and and in that case, and sometimes the, you know those are the tools that we want to help kids develop so that they can protect themselves. I do know that if you have a very good relationship as a baby, you, when your brain is developing, because there's so much brain development that happens in those first three years, you probably get these connections in your brain that allows you to take on bigger things. If you didn't have that and you have to come back and rebuild, it may not be ingrained in your brain as much. It doesn't become instinctual. It becomes something that you have to work on. So... It, Pediatricians, you've got the tools. You've got the kids. You've got the power. You've got the power. You can change the world. That's right. 
What advice do you have for the pediatrician listener just in their own lives and their own relational health with such a, a busy job and so much? I know Dr. Welch would say, with regard to our children, connect every day, no matter what. Well, you know, I was one of those busy pediatricians. And it wasn't until I became aware that I started doing that. And by, at that time, my kids were in their 20s and, you know, 30s and stuff. But I made it an effort to connect every time I can with them. And, you know, I reached out. I started hugging more. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that when you become aware of something, you go, oh, I didn't quite get that right, but I can still do it. You know, I can make time. I can try to listen more and, and share more. You know, it's hard for me to share because I come from a culture where that didn't happen. When I was growing up, that I didn't have my parents share. You know, um, it was, it, it, you know, and, and basically the model I grew up with was parents that worked very hard so that they can make a better life for us, and I was trying to do the same thing. But I didn't take into consideration this other emotional connection. So I'm making every effort that I can. I'm, I'm not perfect at it. There are times when I go to my, say to myself, what did you do that for, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, be honest and, and, uh, and start to share. I mean, that, that goes for your spouse, you know? I think if you could start sharing, life becomes better. And it can be particularly challenging with adolescence, that connection. And I remember you saying to me one time, like, just say, give me five minutes, five minutes of your time. And just those five minutes can make a huge difference. Looking your teenage child in the eyes, listening, and being patient. And sometimes that five minutes comes at three in the morning because <laughs> they're still up and you're not. Right, <laughs> right. And that makes it very hard. Yes. But, uh, you know, uh, I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. What about the separations of life that happen, you know, or someone who's listening who's a, maybe a single parent and then their children are away for, you know, a few days every week or any advice there? Well... I find a lot of comfort in that first randomized controlled trial on nurture science that was done at Columbia. Those mothers of those kids who ended up with better brain power and at age five they are connected. Uh, you can measure that connection with their autonomic nervous system. They average three and a half to four hours a week where they came with their babies and was and were working with their babies with a nurture specialist by their side. You know, so you don't have to do it all the time. You know, three and a half to four hours and look what happened to the brain power. Amazing. And look, look what happened to these kids as they grow. So those kids were following until they were age five. And uh, every time they tested and stuff, the kids who got the intervention, they were doing so much better. And they, they had a wonderful emotional connection with their moms or their dads because there were some that only had dads. So uh, 
yes, I think it, it, you don't have to have it all the time. You just need to be open, you know. Yes, it's hard. Separation is hard. I wish, my big wish, I wish that we could have comprehensive uh, uh, leave policies for moms and dads after they have a baby. You know, we should model what some of the other countries have done where they're giving prolonged leave. Uh, it's not giving. You know, th th there's a, it's much like Social Security. You set up a system where people pay into it, and then you allow at this most important time of a life, the beginning of life, when so much, if things went well, you're going to have a much better life than when things don't. If you give that time for that mom to get used to her baby and the baby to get used to the mom and you get them on a good path, you, you make that first thousand days as good as it can be when the brain is doing all of its development, if you can do that, then you can, there will be so much more possibilities. We will have a better world. I think there's a lot we still need to learn about how to do that, but uh, you know, uh, I, I take uh, a lot of comfort for learning from Dr. Welch, who spent her career um, practicing it in her psychiatric practice, and then taking that information and going back to the lab and learning about what the molecular processes are and what happens, and then translating that into a study in a NICU where babies and moms are always sep usually separated, where they are separated, and bringing them back together and looking at what happens to those kids. And now looking at using implementation science so that we can make this something that can happen in every NICU because that's what we need to do. If we're, if we're going to take the responsibility of taking care of sick kids and helping them survive, we also have a responsibility to help them thrive. We want them to be able to be a part of society. We don't really want them to be scared of the world or develop, you know, uh, you know, this fight or flight all the time. Like I don't trust anybody, and I'm going to fight back if you get near me. Uh, those are not good outcomes. Yes, maybe they may measure good by a Bailey because they can walk and they can talk. But emotionally, we need to measure that part too. And, and we do in our clinic. So we try to help the kids that need, but we don't really need to have to pay for so much behavioral therapy. If we can upfront keep that malbehavior from happening. Are there top, the top three like things we should be doing for relational health overall that you would recommend? Well, try to keep the mothers and babies together and give them time. And be able to help them if they need to, if they need the help. Um, ha figure that out. How can, how can they get help? So I know Dr. Welch is working on this. Uh, they're working on a way that there's an app where you can go in and, uh, 
and they could do some testing uh, and see where you are with your relation and then helping you, guiding you through how to, deve to develop that. Uh, she's written a couple of books that are amazing that can be used. Uh, they need to be tested. I think it's nice to uh, speculate, but it's better to have data, to have information to say this is what works. And I think it's really interesting, you were talking about how important it is to embrace the full range of emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I know just as a parent and in parenting groups and seeing parents interact with their child, a lot of kids are rewarded for being happy and yes. content, but there's so many other important emotions that we also need to embrace, right? And that can be hard. You don't want yeah. to see your child cry. No. And it's very interesting because when I first started in pediatrics, we were told to time out kids and not, and not to pay attention to them when they have temper tantrums. Can you imagine being mad and just left alone like no one cares? You know, I never thought about it then. It was just like, okay, this is what I'm told to do. That's what I tell parents. That wasn't very good advice. Um, they need our attention when they're really upset. Right. And to know that, and then you can also let them know that they, you can, you can, they can get your attention before they get mad, you know, and then the, the, and then the rewards are going to be even better. And to use their words to tell you why they're mad, so that they can get that feeling out rather than throwing their head against the floor and um, having a, a fit, which is not pretty. And ignoring someone can be worse than having a conflict, depending on the situation, right? It's pretty... I think so. I mean, um, I know a lot of us don't like confrontation, but if we were able to be... Uh, to go ahead and address the issue. You don't have to, like, threaten to hurt someone, but you, if you can just address the issue, say, I really didn't like that happening. You know, how can we make that better? Uh, <laughs> but it could start in the pediatrician's office. and Absolutely. It sounds like a lot of pressure, but really it's just a few minutes you're talking about of time. Right. It does take some training to think, to do that, and there are a number of courses and and things that are available for pediatricians. The AAP's done a really good job of it, uh, of understanding relational health. Uh, like I said, Reach Out and Read has some great things, you know. Take a book and say, look, this is mom, this is dad, and, you know, this is, you know, this is, it doesn't always have to be happy, but to talk about sadness and to talk about uh, feeling bad and feeling jealous um, jealous yeah you know mad mad sad so dr gong before we wrap up what inspired you to do what you do today did you always want to be a neonatologist i did it was uh, interesting that when i was exposed to neonatology as a medical student i just felt like this is my home you know, I like taking care of the babies. Um, and with time, I have learned that I'm not just taking care of the babies, I'm taking care of the family. And I try to um, use that. Uh, I'll tell you, the drive that I have to do this is the grandchildren. 
you know, um, I want their world to be better and not worse. And it seems like it's not heading in that direction. Um, so I hug them a lot. And that can be so powerful, and it's, it's so important. Yes. Dr. Alice Gong, thank you so much for being here today on Pediatrics Now. Thank you so much, Holly. Our website is pediatricsnowpodcast.com. Don't forget to click on the link at the end of this podcast for free credit. Thanks so much for listening. Coming up next week, can social media really help your patients and help your practice? We get some great advice from someone from the American Academy of Pediatrics.